Hello, my name is Professor Ian Williamson and I have the great privilege of serving as the Dean of the Paul Mirage School of Business at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome to another session of the Dean's Thought Leaders Seminar. We have with us today a fantastic guest, Mr. Nick Tran, who's the head of marketing globally for TikTok. He's also been Vice President for Marketing at Hulu and has had senior leadership positions in marketing at Stance, Samsung, and Taco Bell. However, most importantly for this conversation, he's also a University of California, Irvine, Paul Mirage School alumni. It's always great when we can see our great alums doing fantastic things. Thank you very much for joining us, Nick. Of course. So listen, it's really a pleasure to have you. You've been doing some amazing work with really some innovative companies. Um, and I guess this first question is all about innovation. It really is thinking back over the last 18 to 24 months. The world has seen stuff that we've never really seen before. Yeah. Um, the word that oftentimes is used is disruption. And I'd be curious to get your sense as to how your organization, TikTok in this situation, has been disrupted or perhaps has been a disruptor. And what are the learnings you've taken from this last 18 to 24 months as a, as a leader in marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd say if you actually think about TikTok, uh, there wasn't much that we had to do because it was the type of business or service that was going to flourish in this situation that we've never seen before. Anyways, um, similar to when I was at Hulu, uh, we saw such a big rise in consumption behaviors because people were at home more often that there wasn't much of a pivot that these companies had to make. I think it was more so future proofing them to uh, withstand what comes after yeah. these big surges. Um, a couple areas that we did disrupt and innovate though uh, came from insights that we saw during the pandemic. So to start with, live streaming became a big uh, need for many companies and individuals and people to really explore and we definitely increased our appetite to invest into the live streaming space. Got it. Uh, I'd also say that um, some of the innovations didn't come from TikTok uh, from the beginning. It actually came from the community. So we saw that a lot of people were looking to find jobs using TikTok. Oh. So out of that we created this thing called TikTok Resumes that allowed people to actually apply to a job and work with 42 different brands that were on our platform where they said like, you don't need a resume for this job. You could submit a TikTok video and have that be your application. Yeah. So again, there's so many things that have happened over the last 18 months. Uh, I'd say that the innovation really came from the community yeah. and ultimately um, industries that I think really had to make harder pivots than we did. I'm looking at like the beauty industry. I saw, um, uh, Instacart really flourished when they were like kind of near, you know, difficult times. Yeah. Uh, and a few other uh, companies that really had, had that opportunity to pivot. But um, yeah, it's been amazing to see some of the most uh, revered brands uh, take that take that step in the right direction. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this notion that you had to look to the community because it suggests that you were putting your ear to the ground mm -hmm. and really listening and watching what your clients and customers were doing. But equally true, you had to have something inside the organization that allowed you to respond to that insight. So I yeah. think a lot of times companies get the insight, but they're not set up to respond. What allowed you to respond? <laughs> yeah, I'd say uh, a lack of red tape and process because uh, most people don't realize TikTok is a three-year-old company. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you'd expect for a company of our size to already be embedded uh, into the culture or the process of the company we didn't necessarily have that. So you're dealing with a situation where you have an appetite for disruption and innovation. You have a lot of uh, flexibility into the process, which allowed us to pivot in the midst of all this stuff and determine what we had to do in order to get something out the door yeah. and, and shipped. And ultimately, 
that included taking a typical campaign process at other companies that would be about two to three months and truncate that down to a 72 hour time frame where wow. we see things happening. To your point, we have our ear to the ground and then we take that initiative to say like, okay, if we don't have the time and the luxury that other companies do to take this to market and we only have this amount of time, what steps do we need to do and what do we need to eliminate from like some of these legacy processes that would allow us to really bring this to life in a more you know, dynamic and quick way. And it turned out that there's a lot of stuff that's just not necessary in today's uh, marketing world that you can actually eliminate and truly market at the speed of culture. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. I love that, marketing at the speed of culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's fantastic. So you've talked a little bit about how TikTok has responded, but I'd be curious to get your sense as to what the last 18 months or so has meant for you in terms of leadership. Yeah. You personally having to lead an organization in that period of time. What, what did you find out about yourself as a leader or what did you sort of notice about leadership more broadly as you think about what you've observed? Yeah, I think first thing to note is that I joined a month into the pandemic. Oh, wow. And because of that, there's a whole group of individuals on my team that I've never met in person. So I think the, the first realization is that leading a global organization and not being able to travel has its pros and cons. On one hand, I've been able to spend more time with my family, and I, I would think that the team was able to spend more time with their families. Uh, but on the flip side, there's a lot of collaboration that tends to happen when you're in a room with somebody yeah. that we weren't able to do over the last 18 months, and you'd have to try to do things through video conference. I think uh, during this time, though, I found that as I matured in my leadership style, the idea of empathy, which a lot of people talk about, has been, I guess, more true now than ever before. And what I talked to the team about is, for the first time, you're getting a window into people's lives yeah. and who they are outside of like the work environment. Because never before have I been able to see someone's dog or cat pop into like the meeting or their kids run by like yelling things. And I think getting a window into people's lives allows you to see them as not just a colleague or a coworker or a person responsible for these things at a company, but you're seeing who they are behind all that, which has been such an amazing opportunity that makes me think differently about how we operate. And it has become a little bit more of like a familial vibe uh, that I don't think I necessarily would have had had it not been for the last 18 months. It is quite amazing how um, in an environment where we weren't together, we actually personalized individuals more. Yep. Um, and that's really quite phenomenal to kind of see how this is all played out. Yeah, empathy, I think that's one of the biggest words that I think a lot of, I, I hear leaders talking about the criticality of that in this environment. Yeah. So we continue to see calls. Um, you know, I think another interesting out, 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 outcome of this whole period has been, we're seeing calls from society for businesses and business leaders to play a very active role in dealing with major social issues, everything from poverty to social justice to inclusion. And I really would love to get your sense as to what you think uh, are the responsibilities of business and business leaders to this call, to this expectation of societies is now placing very clearly on organizations. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Uh, the way that I think about it is uh, a business leader's main responsibility is the business technically. And whether it's to shareholders or if it's a private company, to the, to the board or whoever it is, like you have a responsibility to ensure that the company and the business is successful. I think the great opportunity that we as business leaders have today is that for the first time, you actually see an alignment between what's gonna make the business succeed with what 
society actually is like looking for. So in the sense of diversity and inclusion, uh, in terms of um, social justice and things along those lines, you're dealing with a generation of consumers that actually value businesses that prioritize those initiatives. So if you're a business that is actually, you know, focused and has a value system that's going to drive a lot of those initiatives forward, you are more likely to win than a business that doesn't have those as part of their mission or their value or their brand proposition or different things that are like inherent to the, to the company structure. I think that as we move forward though, it'll be interesting to see which areas society or this generation really prioritizes because we've been hearing things like climate change being a priority, to your point, social justice, diversity and inclusion. Certain things are just gonna become table stakes and it's not gonna be differentiated for a business to step up and say like, we believe in these things because I think if you don't stand up and say those things, you're gonna have bigger backlash. But I think as we start to see different themes or areas of importance pop up from yeah. this new generation, businesses will then have to make a choice. Like, do I focus on climate change and social justice or do I focus on one or the other? Or is there a possibility for me to like be all encompassing? And I, and I think as we you know, continue to see the landscape, uh, more businesses will be able to bring some of those elements internally to life, but what they express externally will be really interesting to see how they navigate that over the next few years. I think that's a very good point. I, I, I wonder how, as an educator, how we are able to best train the current and future leaders to truly embrace what you're talking about. That there's a, there's a clear overlap now between this sort of broader legitimacy expectation, mm -hmm. which has some economic component to it, but oftentimes doesn't. It's just, this is an expectation. And then the other expectation of a business leader to actually lead a successful business. Mm -hmm. And this is the space that I think we have oftentimes not focused on educating people to do, or if we've done it, we've done it in separation. And now more and more, it has to be part of the, the holistic story. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so many brands over the last few years have missteps. And everyone talks about, you know, the, the other side of the pendulum, which is like cancel culture. Yeah. So like when a company has a misstep, and then they get canceled, there's meaningful impact to their business. So the only way to avoid that isn't to just react or avoid those pitfalls. It's to bake in these mission, the, the mission and the values yeah. inherently so that if you do have a misstep, people give you that pass because they know that that wasn't the intent. Because yeah. I think the brands that don't build a belief system or a mission or values uh, driven you know, element within their brand, when they do have a moment where they take a hit, it's gonna be significantly more impactful the companies where people recognize that like that was just truly a misstep yeah they recognize that the company's doing a lot of other things and because of that they're going to afford them that 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 moment uh to like you know reconnect with the audience and understand what the issues were and to come back stronger and that's where it's the only way to hedge in this environment where there is a lot of folks that are instantly looking to cancel things yeah i think the um, the investment in goodwill has never generated a better return never yeah ever before yeah. that's great Last question. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you have advice for our current students, or maybe even some of our future students, in yeah. terms of preparing themselves to lead successful organizations going forward, what would you tell them to prepare themselves for, and how would you recommend they, they do that preparation? Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I'd say, I don't know if there's a overarching thing. I think everyone has their own path uh, to take, and I can speak to my experience pretty easily and I've seen examples from other people that I respect and admire. And what I noticed is that 
there isn't necessarily one path or approach to leading organizations. I think each organization has its own DNA and how you sort of like thread through that either makes you successful or less successful. A couple of the elements that I have seen that have been interesting as like themes or consistent traits that I see in other folks, um, you know, uh, in my circle. One, it's really been this idea of um, perseverance. I think nobody has had an easy path to get to the top or whatever you want to claim the top is. And the folks that are able to navigate through that, take some of the sh you know, challenges or shortcomings from previous experiences and use that as stepping stones to take you know, a bigger opportunity. Those, those folks have always tended to do better, whether they're entrepreneurs or whether they're like business leaders. Because again, nobody has like a flawless yeah. career path, right? So you have to be able to persevere through those, through those elements. Um, I also think that um, I've, I've noticed this trend where more recently than before, friends of mine who've been able to take top positions at other companies, they set themselves apart by being truly passionate about that business. Like I can tell you definitively, I love TikTok. Like I love the product. I love the community. I love the creators. I love the feeling that people have when they are on TikTok for a little bit of time. Like you see them coming out of the experience a little bit happier than they were before. And there's some, that's something that we, we, you know, we really strive for. If, if you were to talk to somebody that's, you know, at a company, let's say like an, at a Nike, another brand that I love, the person that's truly passionate about the product, sport, you know, the community at large, like they're going to win and they're going to do successful things for that, for that company, that brand, because they just live it every day. As opposed to somebody who just is a student of that industry and kind of like sat passively on the sidelines and, and learned. I don't think you're going to see as much of that moving forward because there's just so many things that people are passionate about that you're going to find someone that's just as capable and just as qualified, but their edge is going to be yeah. knowing that in and out and knowing like, you know, the communities and how to navigate and all the right influencers in the space and, and, and do well in that regard. So I, I just really think the people that can persevere and are passionate are going to be more likely to step into those roles. So just find the thing that you love, focus on that. I knew I loved marketing. Yeah. So I think I might've told you before, but like one of the quarters that I had at Mirage, I was taking five classes because that's the only time that that specific course was going to be available. I was auditing two, and so it was a total of seven classes that I was taking. And in the classes that I was auditing, I quickly found that you don't have to read all the material because as an auditor, you're not required to participate. Yeah. And in those classes, I went to Amazon and I looked at the recommended books that were separate from the books that were on the syllabus because I knew that they were going to cover all that in the discussions. And if I was attending all the discussions, I would know what that book was about. So I would actually read other books that were complementary to those books. So essentially I felt like I was taking nine courses in marketing in a quarter here because I just loved it that much. Yeah. And I continue to this day to feel that I'm a student of the marketing game and I learned from so many people. And if you're always learning and you're always striving to be a little bit better than you were the day before and you take the initiative to like take seven classes because you love it, how are you going to lose to anyone else? Yeah. Like no one's going to put that amount of effort or time than you would if you love it that much. So I would just say like, don't do what you think looks best and don't try to prove to the industry or to others that you've earned their respect. Just do what you love and you will set yourself apart from everyone else pretty easily. Fantastic advice. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course. Well, Nick, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for taking the yeah, time. Anytime. And uh, it's fantastic to see what you're doing and we just look forward to see all the other great accomplishments you have coming forward. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure.